Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Gowland Lotion. Today, we are delighted to have with us guest Dr. June O. Oh. June O oh recently completed her PhD in English at Michigan State University and will be starting her new job as an assistant professor of English and Digital Studies at the University of Texas Tyler beginning August 2022. Her first research project traces the literary concept of aging in the long 18th century with a particular focus on how age intersects with race, gender, sexuality, disabilities, and class. She has published an article on Austin's use of aging metaphors in age, culture, and humanities, and is now currently working on editing a forum on ageist language in academia. As an interdisciplinary scholar, she is also developing a digital humanities project that analyzes Grandfluencers, a group of trendy grandmother figures in South Korea. Welcome, June! Hello. Hi, Ben. Hi, Diane. We're so glad to have you. So today we are discussing persuasion. Anne Elliot has joined her father and sister back in Bath after her adventures at Lyme Regis. Her first morning back, after observing how much her father seems to be enjoying Mrs. Clay's company, Anne has a really deep conversation with Sir Walter. <laughs> Here's how the conversation goes. In the course of the same morning, Anne and her father, chancing to be alone together, he began to compliment her on her improved looks. He thought her less thin in her person, in her cheeks, her skin, her complexion greatly improved, clearer, fresher. Had she been using anything in particular? No, nothing. Merely Gowland, he supposed. No, nothing at all. Ha! He was surprised at that, and added, certainly you cannot do better then continue as you are. You cannot be better than well. Or I should recommend Gowland. The constant use of Gowland during the spring months. Mrs. Clay has been using it at my recommendation. And you see what it has done for her. You see how it has carried away her freckles. He's got a lot of confidence in Gowland. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have ownership of some Gowland stock, for sure. <laughs> Very invested in this product. <laughs> So, June, this paragraph reads a little bit like Sir Walter's personal infomercial for Gowland, but we really have to start the conversation by defining what this is. So can you explain what Gowland is, this lotion? What is this product that seems to have Sir Walter's full-throated endorsement? Yeah, sure. Gowland's lotion is basically a very popular skincare product uh, that was sold in the late 18th century. It was publicized as the solution for all kinds of skin malfunction, including dryness, freckles, eruptions, coarseness, paleness, redness, shingles, and scurvy, and to restore the bloom, you know, whatever that is. And uh, we have records that uh, that note that this was sold for 10 shillings and 6 pence, which is um, roughly equivalent to 330 pounds or 400 US dollars per 
quart bottle. Wow. So it was very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So just like Sir Walter, in the essays that were publicized in Bell Inclusion, in the later side of that essay, there are uh, what's called cases, uh, which is like a modern day Amazon review kind of thing. Ooh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and there, there are <laughs> many letters that just all vouching for the effect of Gallant's lotion from like a famous duchess to a gentleman, you know, dozens of customers saying that it did wonders for their skin. So testimonials from the public. Mm-hmm. Do we know what it was made of? Yeah, sure. Uh, and that is kind of uh, interesting thinking about why Austin was using this product for Sir Walter. It will be later found out this lotion contained mercury and lead um, and had some very serious side effects. So just knowing that um, it was, you know, very expensive, it was popular, it was, you know, there were like popular hype going on about this product and it was, you know, a sham. It was it was discredited later on. So, yeah, we, we see how Austin is kind of using this one product to tell us so much more about Sir Walter. So it was definitely toxic for your health. For sure. Yeah. And then it was so popular that there was this family feud over the the product. The inventor, John Gowland, after his death, so his friend took over the business. And then him and his son-in-law, whose name was Thomas Vincent, he later owned the business. But then um, Thomas Vincent's wife, named Maria Elizabeth, she created her own recipe and she called it Mrs. Vincent's recipe and then fought it with her ex-husband or husband about like whose recipe was the original and, you know, who oh. had more effect because it was such, you know, a, a popular product and because it was good money. So yeah, they were like publicly slandering each other's product and, you know, all of those. So it was, it was a very popular and very much talked about product. So what's kind of the timeline for Gowlands? When is its kind of rise to popularity? When does it kind of stop being the go-to product for this? It's late 18th century when it got popular, but by the turn of the century, it was only popular for, I think, a decade or so. And then it got discredited for having like mercury and lead. Mm. Yeah. So by the time Austin was writing this story, it is pretty obvious that this product has already been discredited and you know, it, it, it's a thing okay. of the past. Yeah, that was, you know, a sham. Well, and Sir Walter's description that he gives implies that Galland is really, obviously, the skincare cure-all. And that's what the, you know, that's how it's advertised, as you've described. How does Galland, though, fit into this, like, larger conversation about skincare during this era? What are some of the other popular beauty regimens and skincare products? Galland's lotion has a really interesting um, relationship to like the medical discourse as well as the healthcare culture. So the the late 18th century is the period that we describe as you know the the beginning or the the onset of you know medical individualism. So this is the mm. time when people thought that you know with proper care, with proper scientific medical products and regimen. I can take care of my body. I can control my body. And especially for aging, it was, it was now that, you know, aging is not something of a, you know, cosmic fate or something like that. It was uh, more okay. of, you know, I take care of my body from 
you know, early on in my youth, if I eat well, if I exercise well, I might be young. Sometimes people thought forever, or maybe I can just delay the onset of old age, right? And uh, this product, this skincare product was also a part of that um, larger discourse. When we look at how Gallon's lotion was publicized, there are actually uh, several essays that, that were written by uh, either Thomas Vincent or supposedly by the inventor himself. It, it emphasizes a lot on how scientific it is. It emphasizes how up to date it is in terms of like it taking care of the cutaneous disease. You know, so it's like it's a topical treatment. It's not the humoral treatment that people mm-hmm. thought, you know, before. Before this product, people thought, you know, you just take care of your humors, you know, balance of the humors. That's what brings up this healthy, you know, clear looks. But Gallons is not about that. It's about the topical thing. It depends to the skin. And it's very, very scientific about that. So, yeah, Gallons, I think it was something that people thought were or like newer kind of, of science that was, okay. uh, you know, kind of captured in that product. So are there like competitors for Gowland? Are there ones that kind of come into the market maybe after Gowland is starting to decline? What are some of the, the other products, or at least in like aging and beauty that are really popular? Yeah, like what's the Maybelline CoverGirl rivalry that we've got going on here? <laughs> well, I guess the Family Feud that you already told us about, that would have been mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah, the Family Feud. and then. There were like many beauty regimen. So, um, we have a lot of actually women writers who were writing for women to, you know, this ladies toilet uh, kind of thing. One that I really like is Elizabeth Price. She has this cookbooks or cookery books and she includes all the different things like tips for laundry and instructions for clear starching. And then she includes this art for preserving beauty, uh, which was like this phrase for like clear skin and stuff like that. And in that text, it usually goes that it's not scientific at all. It doesn't have that technical scientific medical terms that Gallant Fulton used. It's mostly about, you know, in the morning, you apply the essence of this flower you apply this plant that is, you know, submerged in water or things like that. So it's about, you know, more book therapy kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's very specific. Like it has very different and many, many uh, recipes for like, how to take care of your nails, how to take care of your hairs and, you know, how to how to care for your wrinkles and stuff like that. Okay. So uh, Gallant Solution is, I think, very unique in terms of it was made by a very like a, a science man um, in the era uh, because some people even till the late 18th century it was believed that you know women's skin or things like that were more relating to beauty was something that physicians don't really deal with it was something mm. more inferior of a subject right so um, okay. yeah gamma solution is I think special in that. So gallons would have been something that you you purchase at like an apothecary or at like wh- where would you purchase that? Because it's this is obviously very different from these kind of home remedies that you're describing. Yeah, so it was purchased in the shop of uh, Joan Gowland, and it was in Grosvenor Street in London. Okay, and 
Dowland was just so piqued by so many customers just asking to, you know, if they can get their hands on this product. So it was sold in that shop and it was definitely not, you know, something that you can make at home. So it's very exclusive. Mm, yes. <laughs> very exclusive. <laughs> very expensive. Going back to persuasion and looking at how this product fits in with the novel, Sir Walter brings up Gowland when he is, for lack of a better word, evaluating Anne and Mrs. Clay's <laughs> complexions. Picture me just making a gagging face right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how does Gowland fit into the larger narrative of gendered expectations of beauty and how Austin is addressing this? You know, you mentioned Bloom already. Yeah. So, I mean, it is not surprising that women were expected to look young or that, you know, something beautiful. If a woman was considered as beautiful, she was not an old lady or she was a young person. But there's something really interesting about how Austin is depicting Anne's bloom because bloom, that is, you know, such a vague concept. It's, you know, it's about the skin, but it's also about like the color. It's also about the health state and it is also about age. So when I read Austin's description of bloom in Anne's face, it's, it's more like it, it's got more, you know, something more genuine than simply having a clear skin that something like some product like Almond Lotion could produce. But what's, what's also interesting is that Sir Walter is also using Maybe not using, but he's just so into this product. And I, I'm going to assume that he's also using this product as well. Sure. Because he is not only obsessive about being beautiful, but he is also so obsessive about not looking old. And that is something that uh, the 18th century contemporaries were more particularly interested in. Um, taking care for your aging body was something that a gentleman was expected to do because if you if you have you know signs of premature aging or you know evident signs of aging that signaled a lack of discipline or social awareness you know it, it was just showing other people how you have no principle as a man because mm. that that old body was a was a sign that you had a very reckless life in your youth so Walter is also taking care to look very young and he does look young i would assume but i don't think austin is praising that at all right right well and it's as as you've said you know we know from the text that vanity is the beginning and end of sir walter's character right she tells us that very clearly so the conversation about beauty products of course is very on brand for sir walter He's very concerned about his complexions, but he's also, yeah, he's also monitoring the complexions of other people around him. And he specifically calls out Admiral Croft's complexion. What is this about Gowland, this Gowland reference? What is it telling us about Sir Walter's obsession with appearance, maybe in relation to, to class, as well as this kind of almost moral character that you're kind of describing? So what... Austin tells us like from the beginning is that Sir Walter is so into appearance and heritage, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think she calls it person and situation. 
So those two are the same for him. And I think Austin tells us that if there were hierarchy between the two, it's only like beauty comes second only to heritage. There's a situation, class is so important. And I don't think Sir Walter can imagine a person who can be so beautiful, but over lower class. It, it, it's always the, you know, one, this essentialist belief that what's beautiful is of higher class, right? His aristocratic you know, mindset. So what's really interesting about his you know, kind of censure for other people's aged looks is that all of them have lower status. So when Sir Walter is, you know, he's so upset about uh, seeing this sailor who has a very, you know, weather-bitten face and he's just so vehement. He's angry. And like, <laughs> why are you so angry? You know, you can just say, oh, that's not pretty, but he's just very angry. And that's because as Sir Walter tells us, it's because, you know, how he has gotten from like no name he was a, a person, not an aristocrat. And through his years in the Navy, he rose up to being a certain person. And that kind of class mobility is so, that provokes anger in Sir Walter. There's physical evidence of the work that it took Admiral Croft yeah. to, to climb up, to be in a position where he can just rent out Kellynch Hall. That evidence is on his face. So a direct and that's upsetting, yeah, to him. Yeah, and then he when uh, when when Sir Walter and Elizabeth are meeting uh, the Darwinpools, and Anne has to go and meet Mrs. Smith. Sir Walter is angry, right? But it's also interesting how he keeps imagining Mrs. Smith as an old lady. So Anne actually corrects him and says she's not really that old. But Sir Walter doesn't listen. He says to meet an old lady and then to just abandon your, you know, higher class people to meet an old lady. So that's something that Sir Walter is really fixating on. You know, how this lower class people are just old. That's very important for him. And what you're describing, too, it also puts in context the way that Mrs. Clay is characterized and seen by him throughout the novel. Right. That at the very beginning of the novel, it's been made very clear that Mrs. Clay has freckles. Can you believe it? And so he's very aware of things that, that he finds unattractive to himself. So it's almost immediately like, oh, she, you know, she's never going to be a danger to Sir Walter because he doesn't find her attractive. And that, therefore, he, it's not a class, it's a class issue. Whereas obviously in the, you know, the passage that we read at the top of the episode, where he's like, oh, it's taken away Mrs. Clay's freckles, to which Anne is like, uh, Nope, they are very much so still intact. But it's revealing about the character. It's revealing that he's maybe not seeing a class issue between them anymore. Yeah, that that moment is really, really interesting to me. And the way Anne reacts to that that moment is that Anne immediately goes to think that they are going to be married. So that's how important it is for Sir Walter to just ignore Mrs. Clay's you know, freckles, because that means that Sir Walter is willing to, like you said, um, let go of the class difference. Because, you know, seeing that freckle was not just about freckles, it was about how she was of the lower class. And Anne thinks that, you know, they're going to get married, and what what's Elizabeth going to do? Would they get married? And then when she actually tells her sister that 
that's what's going to happen. She suspects that Sir Walter has feelings for Mrs. Clay or something like that. Elizabeth says, no way. You've seen how <laughs> he's been talking about her freckles. They are like abominable freckles for him. <laughs> so it's interesting how Sir Walter is also relating Galen's solution to Mrs. Clay's changed face because the foundation of subscribing to beauty regimens or beauty products like that is that you can actually change how you look. So the fact that Sir Walter from the beginning is actually using that product is kind of ironic for him because in theory, he could be just, you know, he could stay as he is and he should still be beautiful. But that's not the case. He has to take care of his beauty. So you know, class doesn't do much for his beauty. And he sees that around him all the time. So he's youngest daughter. He, you know, mentions how she has this aged looks, how she has this red nose, and how he, he would send her clothes like that. He wouldn't because she would then go out to go out and get even older. Yeah, Lady Russell's crowd's feet, that bothers him so much. And, you know, that bothers him because it's not just about the wrinkles. It's, you know, that aristocrats, that higher uh, class people can start to look old. And that means all about, you know, the the class mobility and all. Well, and something else that that just when you were talking, this was making me think of the fact that he says that Mrs. Clay is using gallons which implies that he's probably providing that for her. I'm, you know, Because I'm assuming Mrs. Clay does not have that money. Well, Sir Walter doesn't have that money either, but that's never this stopped him. This is also true. <laughs> <laughs> that is no impediment for Sir Walter. <laughs> he would for sure spend an exorbitant amount of money that he does not have on a beauty product. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But the fact that, the fact that he has, whether he has given that to her or she has access to that, that it's almost like her entry ticket into this, this higher class. Mm-hmm. The way that he perceives that. And so the fact that, that Lady Russell might not take the initiative to buy Gowland is to him, it's, it's, there's a buy-in to this idea of, of class and beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, Mrs. Clay, she is such an interesting character because one, at that moment when Sir Walter is being so angry about this weather-bitten face, she says, don't be so harsh because not everybody has access to your lifestyle. And she says, not everybody has the money, the time, the access. They they don't have your regular ways of life, which means, you know, you don't have to work and you have the money. So Mrs. Clay is like, some people who don't live like you, they lose something of their personableness and they do get old. So Mrs. Clay is very much aware of um, you know, how normal people who's not like Sir Walter will have to work and, you know, the, the natural effect of time will ha- how they that will wear their looks. I don't know if Mrs. Clay actually believes in the product and I don't know if that actually has made her freckles go away. Obviously, Anne doesn't believe so, but she is a very shrewd person. And from, from that, that moment when she talks about, like, not everybody can be you. That just shows that even if she is using that product, she knows more than you know what she's you know appearing to buy into. And it's interesting to kind of take it back to this idea of beauty because the the moment that that Sir Walter is like, "Oh, you're looking so great, Anne," which again 
we're all cringing a little bit that he's doing that to his daughter. But it's interesting because she has just come from the seaside. She's been outside. She's been doing all these things that Sir Walter would absolutely not prescribe as any kind of beauty regimen. And yet it has obviously been working for Anne. <laughs> so he's, he's almost baffled. This isn't Gowland that has done this for her. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like he, uh, the way that Anne was around a bunch of people who really cared for her, who found her helpful, and all of that has been helping Anne to, you know, bloom again, right? And Sir, for Sir Walter, things like that, it's just, you know, not not something that you can buy. So it doesn't really matter for him. It's it's about you know buying that expensive product and applying religiously so that it can, you know, thing for your face, your beauty. Yeah, the idea that she might be looking well because she's been around people who care about her and aren't constantly criticizing her for her appearance, that would never even occur to him. <laughs> for sure. Well, June, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. It was so delightful. Where can our listeners learn more about the work that you're doing and follow you online and all that stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. And yeah, you will hear more from me and my work on Twitter. My handle is Juno Underdash. So feel free to follow me. And yeah, thank you so much for today. I, I really had a good time. Thank you so much. I have been wanting to talk about Galland for a while. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> Thank you again to Dr. June Oh for joining us for today's discussion. You can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode where we will be talking about Weymouth. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.